content and discussion today will obviously and necessarily engage with the issue of child sexual abuse. I recognize that some listeners may be affected by this and some may find the content emotionally challenging. There is a range of information and resources on their websites, help and support page. Go to independent inquiry child sexual abuse.org.uk that's iicsa.org.uk and search help so you're back for the final installment of uh, the last episode and my guest today has been on many journeys to wellness her journey continues as she embarks on her journey with intention here she speaks of coping mechanisms she has been speaking about coping mechanisms that helped her get to where she is today with courage and faith in who she is i personally call her a powerful warrior who has come through so much to arrive here today so saiba saba Kaiser is the ethnic minority ambassador to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, a position that takes her around the country in the UK to speak at events and conferences that she also co-organizes. As ambassador, her role is to ensure the voices of ethnic minority survivors are heard and that the inquiry reflects our country's diverse culture. Saba is of Pakistani origin, born and raised in Bristol, UK. From the age of 7, she was subject to repeated and systemic sexual abuse let down by the police and social services until she managed to get out at 15 years old when she was made a ward of court. Throughout her traumatic formative years, Saba consistently kept a journal which she now uses to relive her experience and inform her writing as she retells her story this is sabas first delve into comp- composing a full length book with no intention with the intention sorry of publication there is no betrayal more profound than sex than the sexual abuse of a child it is an evil incomprehensible to its victims A coconut signature is the true story of a Pakistani Punjabi British girl and the way Saba navigates experiences of cruel sexual abuse at the hands of her family from the age of 7 it was a shock to my system i was a child in this house where i would play sliding down a beautiful wooden banister the spine of our house the men then men stared coming from a foreign land my uncles my asian background meant hitting was a norm i was used to it i identified as a child the only reason i could as i was being hit throughout my childhood i was trying to understand what was wrong with me what was i doing wrong that meant i was being hit that's from an excerpt from her publication and i would encourage you if you just tuning into this episode this last episode to go back and listen from the start and i'm sure that anyone who who would listen to sabas story would understand that she is a voice of many who had the courage to come out and actually 
stand up for what she believes in, and that is human rights. That's not something that that's something that we haven't really mentioned. Human rights as a human being, as a child who went through being abused from such a young age and finding ways to survive. So the four mechanisms that Saba used have been put together through the previous episode. So this episode, this last episode now, is where she is today. So hello, Saba. Hello, hi, Liz. Again. And um, I'm going to hand this over and let you talk and give give us the final the final part of this. Thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, I'm now going to read uh, what I have written, uh, and I've entitled it "Where I Am Now." What my abusers did to me would shape my life forever, but at the time was beyond my comprehension. From the age of 7 to 13, I was subject to repeated and systemic sexual abuse by four members of my family, let down by the police and social services until I managed to get out completely. And finally, at 15 years old, when I was made a ward of court. At the age of 13, I tried to tell a teacher at school. She informed the police and social services. During an interview with the police, they asked me some questions about my house and my family, and I answered their questions and told them their names. Then one of the officers looked at me very straight. As she spoke, has anyone had intercourse with you? I have committed this question to my memory for all this time, and as I read my response out to you now, my eyes fill with tears. What is intercourse? Just as I repeated the word back to her, the officer who posed the question got to her feet, the other following suit, declaring, if you don't know what that word means, then it can't have happened to you. Upon her announcement, both officers left. And that was the last time uh, any police officers ever spoke to me. Um, That was the one and only time, and, and I never saw the police again. Uh, I'll carry on. I knew the words shame, haya, and izet, and I knew what they meant. Shamefully, I did not know the words for parts of my body, nor did I know what sex was. I was taken into care, but not believed. The reason given was that I was beyond parental control, and that I was rebelling against my culture. If I had the words, I would have said them to my mum. As a child, I believed that my mum loved me, but because I could not explain to her what was happening to me, I lost her. Social services, the police and my school had a responsibility to help me, to help me find the words so I could have spoken them to my mum. I miss her every day. She deserved to be loved by me. During these years, I underwent many profound changes beginning to grapple with the idea that I didn't belong with my family and that I am not safe in my own home, while also inventing ever more elaborate mechanisms in order to cope. At approximately 14 or 15, I was sexually abused by my school teacher, who also acted as a counsellor. Social services did not pay for me to be counselled professionally, 
but asked my PE teacher to counsel me during school hours instead. He told me that I allowed others to abuse me. He then began abusing me. This brought about my years of silence and tears. A broken child, I entered adulthood and I could not cope. What is the difference between damaged and broken? And which one am I? My silence was for my protection, my tears sacred. My tears contained messages of overwhelming grief, but not of weakness. In 2015, uh, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse was commissioned. It has 15 investigations examining the way institutions have responded to child sexual abuse. Part of the inquiry is the Truth Project, providing victims and survivors of child sexual abuse with an opportunity to share their experience and put forward suggestions for change. Survivors can share their account in writing or over the phone, and if they wish, can be guided by a dedicated support worker who they can speak to before and after they've shared. So far, more than 4,500 survivors have come forward. More information on how to share your experience can be found on the Truth Project website. It was in 2017 when I finally broke my silence and decided to share my account, my account with the Truth Project. I decided that my silence would not affect change. It would not help another little seven-year-old survivor going through what I did. I don't want to trigger bad memories but I do want to instigate change. After I shared my account, I felt empowered to take charge of my own healing process and work with the inquiry, raising awareness as to the cross-cutting and wide-scale nature of abuse. Through my involvement, I hope to demonstrate to the South Asian community and specifically victims of childhood sexual abuse that there is no place for child abuse or child exploitation in any section of our society. Much of the inquiry's work evolves around, revolves around breaking the silence around child sexual abuse in all communities. And as ethnic minority ambassador, I hope to contribute to this. This involves regularly engaging with stakeholders and using my experience of an Asian woman who was sexually abused within the family to address those people in sections of our society whose voices to, is still to be heard. I'm also working closely with teams across the inquiry, engaging with communities to better understand the cultural barriers that exist that might prevent victims and survivors from speaking out. To date, we have spoken to more than 80 organisations across England and Wales. A better understanding of these barriers will help to inform the inquiry's recommendation to better protect children in the future. Overall, I want to see change understanding greater knowledge of the effect of child sexual abuse on survivors. I also want to see a more open and frank conversation. Thank you very much, Saba. Um, I think we, we discussed how you and I met, and I'd like to put that across simply because I feel that um, this whole thing has come about because of how we met and that was a, a independent um, inquiry event that I was present. I was representing 
um, an organization. And I went along and I remember sitting in the room and listening to different people's testimonies. And there were three, I can't remember if there were three or if there were more men in the room, but three men of Asian origin. And when it came for you to stand up and give your testimony, the thing that hurt me the most was that you were shut down by these men. And you've talked about um, why that happened. And you can give your account of that afterwards. But for me, from a personal perspective, what I watched was you shrink into that child. You were an adult, powerful woman given a testimony that was so painful to deliver. And these men interrupted. And um, then it was stopped and we all went for tea and cakes. And then it resumed about 15 or 20 minutes later where we all came back. And I remember saying that, I saying to myself, we, we can't carry on without this issue being raised. And as you remember, I stood up and took these gentlemen to task by just announcing and kind of witnessing that I had experienced them shutting you down and stopping you in full flow of your testimony. Um, I don't know if you want to take up the story from there, you know, what their what, what their response to that was. Uh, yes, I, I do recall um, the, the, the first time that we met, Lynn, um, and, uh, and I'm grateful, actually, that, that we did meet, although uh, perhaps not under such great circumstances. Um, it, it, it was a, an event uh, to which, um, yeah, as you said, I was speaking um, and I was talking about my experience uh, as, as a survivor, a victim and survivor of child sexual abuse. And when I started talking about uh, ways in which I, uh, 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 if you like, faced that abuse um, as a child, one of the things that I did, which I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, what's, um, I think I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes, was this um, uh, instinct of survival at the age of uh, approximately 15, uh, where I had to close all my doors to the past. And one of them was to my religion. And when I had said that particular part, uh, closing the door to my religion, uh, these men, um, Asian Muslims, took offense to that. And their questioning was around that action. Um, they, they demanded in knowing why I had done that um, and, and how you know, how that uh, um, helped me to move forward and, and, you know, kept badgering me almost as to why I didn't go to the police and why I felt the need to close uh, the doors to religion. Um, I, I do, however, would like to take this opportunity to say that um, I think it's really important that even when we do have discussions that perhaps are not easy and not everyone is on the same page i stu still do think it's really important that that those men are invited to these events and that they are at the table um, and every single time um, um, they should be because when we start leaving people at the door because of their beliefs or because of their lack of understanding or perhaps even their questioning um, 
we actually do an injustice to to this topic we do an injustice to the fight against child sexual abuse um i would welcome uh, each and every time uh, those men uh, and still i would stand up and speak in front of them and i hope now moving forward that i would be better prepared in answering their questions um because i do welcome their questions uh, no matter how difficult they may be because i am a firm believer in an open and honest discussion no matter the the viewpoint hmm. yeah because it was a very defensive and i i i would say it was a very defensive attack on you um and from where i was sitting i was shocked to see how someone could or people could actually interrupt such a, a very painful important account of something that had happened to you and um, yeah ethnic minority communities in my experience have a general aversion to discussing or engaging with sensitive subjects deemed to be private matters and i believe that was the viewpoint the stance from which perhaps these men came from but i do hope that they took something away from uh, you know away from that day i do hope that um uh, that that they would continue the journey of a greater understanding of of the effects of child sexual abuse on survivors because it's a lifelong sentence hmm Mm. And let's bring it back to the present moment um because I know listeners are going to be thinking you know what is your life like now so as mentioned you know you're the ethnic minority ambassador to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse a position that takes you all around the country to speak at events and conferences and you're very passionate about that role and you're very busy um and as i mentioned in the first episode you live in london so without you know you can tell us as much as you want but how is your life where is your life right now in terms of your personal life um and where where you're at with that uh i'm very fortunate uh i have a wonderful personal life um and and i i owe that to my two beautiful children who um Uh, yeah I, I say to them uh that uh my oldest boy uh is my heart and my youngest is what gives my heart its beat uh, and without them my heart wouldn't beat um they're 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 my joy uh they they literally and i know it's going to sound corny and cliched and i apologize but they literally saved me um i i adore them uh i'm fortunate i i i have a good job which i love uh tremendously um it it, it challenges me on a daily basis uh both mentally um and and i have to say sometimes physically <laughs> um i live on a canal boat uh my canal boat is my sanctuary it's my little piece on this planet that sometimes almost feels as if it doesn't belong on this planet or in this planet where uh when i step into my boat and close my doors or actually it's it's an awning uh when i close it well again uh, let's let's use the right language when i zip <laughs> the awning um i feel like i'm stepping into my own little private planet um and i have never experienced peace 
as I have done when I'm sitting on my boat. My boat is moored on the River Thames um, and it's moored uh, just outside Windsor. Um, and yeah, I have to say, Lynn, that I am a very fortunate person and I'm very pleased um, that I am and I'm grateful you're, every day. You are blessed. Thank you. you, you yes. Are, you are blessed. And, um, you know, as we're coming to the end of this last segment, um, something that, you know, you, you don't have to answer and I don't want you to feel like we're, we're digging too deep. But I think, you know, as we're talking about your personal life, but it must have been a very special person that could have led you to go on to have children, you know, with the, the, the atrocities that happened to your little body. Because that, when when that happens for many women, you know they're they're wounded inside for forever. You know they're prevented from having children, um, and the not just the physical scars, but the emotional scars can can turn some women. You know it can they they don't they, they don't have coping mechanisms or they didn't have coping mechanisms to get through, and they can go one way or the other. I see you as a very positive woman and you, you've used your experience now to help other people, other women, and in today's society, in today's world, other men, you know, people to overcome the atrocities of child sexual abuse. And the last in words, what I want to hear from you, what I'm, I'm feeling, you know, is power. <laughs> you are a powerful warrior woman um, and with that comes when we talk about power, owning our power and once you've got that power, once you own your power, no one can take that away from you. This could never happen to you again. It could yes. never happen to you again and we would like to think that you've inspired so many young women, so many young men, um, especially from the Bain, the, the the Black, Asian, minority, ethnic um, communities that might get a chance to listen to this podcast, that might get a chance to listen, um, but also to get your book when it comes out. So you mentioned earlier on that you're on the hunt for a public uh, a publisher. So, yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah, if anyone's listening and they've got some ideas um, or they'd like to talk to me about it, please get in touch. Um, the book is complete. Um, I'm very proud of it. Um, yeah, and all I need is a publisher. And all we need from you um, are some details for people if they wanted to get in touch with you. Uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, as I said, uh, I, I um, said many times actually throughout all the episodes, and I'll say it again. Uh, so my name is Saba Kaiser. I'm the Ethnic Minorities Ambassador to the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. Uh, my email address is my name. It's S-A-B-A-H dot Kaiser, K-A-I-S-E-R at Ixa. Ixa is iicsa.org.uk. And of course, with everything that we've mentioned throughout the episodes and this final episode, if anyone wants to uh, find out some more about the Truth Project and how they can get involved, uh, please go to our website, www.truthproject.org.uk. Saba Kaiser, it's been an absolute delight and pleasure 
and thank you so much for being so brave and courageous to share with us your story and um, I look forward to seeing you in Bristol when you're down this way sometime and we'll go out for a drink or a coffee and um, absolutely talk about everyday stuff. Uh, coffee and nice cold beer I think (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much and thank you for um, there's someone that is there with you Um, so I'd like to I'd like to say thank you to Georgia Georgia I'd like to say thank you to Georgia for being on board um, and being a witness to this and to helping with the production of these episodes um, so we're going to finish now with um, a big, a big virtual hug because we are in the time <laughs> of COVID. Um, wow, just to, I, I, I can feel that hug. It's lovely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and just to let people know that you know you uh, the, the Truth Project, the inquiry is not seeing people at this time on a one-to-one, but they can get in touch. You know, there is absolutely, there. Yeah, yeah. Face-to-face uh, truth sessions obviously have been halted due to uh, the current COVID uh, pandemic. Um, but of course, uh, the, the the inquiry, its work is still continuing. We are currently still holding public hearings. Uh, so far, uh, our public hearings have looked at responses to child sexual abuse from a range of institutions, uh, for example, custodial institutions and residential schools. The latest, which has taken place digitally, uh, is examining child protection in religious institutions. Um, but of course, um, like I said about the Truth Project, people can get in touch through the website um, and they can give their testimony or their account to the inquiry via uh, uh, email or, or they could write it. But please look at our website and please do get in touch. Okay. Saba, thank you and take care, darling. And we'll My catch pleasure. up soon. Lots of love. Yeah, thank you. Bye.